Great. Well, we're um, looking, as Dan said, into uh, parts of the Bible uh, in our kind of as part of our morning service, as we always do. And we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking into uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke's biography of the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Luke, he, he tells us he carefully investigated it uh, and talked to lots of eyewitnesses. He was uh, very close to a number of key people. And uh, like a good historian that he is, he put it all together into this book, which we have today called Luke's Gospel. And uh, we've been uh, seeing, haven't we, that uh, uh, we're in a part of the, the Gospel where Jesus is on the road. Uh, it's the, his last big journey. In chap- by the time we're in chapter 16, he's on his way uh, towards the cross. He's going to, to, to go to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to die there. Uh, to give his life, the life, uh, the act that we've just celebrated is in his view. And as he travels, so his disciples are with him, learning on the way uh, what it means to be followers. He interacts with all kinds of different people as he goes. Uh, Sick people, people who are overpowered and overwhelmed by evil. People who are, are, are nice people, people also who are critics of him. Religious people, people from every part of society. We saw last week, didn't we, how, how uh, you know, the, Jesus was criticized for spending time with people that were a bit outside uh, respectable uh, uh, Israelite society at the time. Uh, and last week we saw how Jesus told stories uh, as part of the way he got his message across. Uh, and today, we, as we had last week, we've got another story Uh, that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 16 on page 1050. Now, you might remember that last week we we read some stories in in chapter 15. There were three of them about being lost and the joy of being found. And the reason Jesus told those stories we saw was because uh, the religious people were kind of going around criticizing him, kind of asking, what what are you doing, Jesus, mixing with all these uh, tax collectors and sinners, these, these kind of wrong kind of people? How come you're hanging out with these people if you're a so-called great religious teacher? And Jesus answered their questions by telling a story, or three stories, as we saw, that were aimed at two groups of people. Uh, Those stories were aimed at the people who were lost uh, and knew about it, uh, and it was also aimed at people who were also lost but didn't think they were thought that they were pretty good, really, didn't need to be found by anyone. And as we saw last week, it was all about the joy of being found. Now, this time we're told in in, in chapter 16, verse 1, you just see it there, Jesus told his disciples. So who is he talking to this time? He's talking to his followers. He's got some things to say to these disciples. So the audience has narrowed a bit hasn't it? Last week he was talking to everyone around him. Now he's talking about people who want to follow him, and maybe we can learn some stuff from that. But although the audience or the people he's talking to is a, a, is a smaller group, uh, the story we're going to, uh, about to read uh, is very similar to the story we read last week about the lost sons. I don't know if you noticed that, but it is. See if you can get any connections. I'm going to read it, chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. And just, you know, think to yourself, what's similar about the story we heard last week about the lost sons? Let's read it. Verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked, 
What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. That's what kind of laborers did then. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. People who owed his master money, that is, obviously. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Well, the manager told him, well, look, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? And he said, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. He wants him to write it down. The master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, it's interaction time. I won't go into small group. Anyone notice any sim- similarities? Anything similar to the last story? You, we all know the story. Well, most of us will know the story of the prodigal son. The word, most one. Anything similar strike you about the two stories? Shout it out. Anyone? Any insights? Sorry? Buying friends. Buying friends. Yeah? Anything else? Interesting. It's it's hard to see till you start looking. Wasting possessions. Wasting possessions. Yeah, they both waste possessions, don't they? The lost son did. This manager who was dishonest did to start with. Anything else? Money is involved. Yeah, in both stories. Yeah, they were both. Well, you see, there's a few things coming out, aren't there? You know, it's very unhelpful. If you've got the edition of the Bible that I've got, you've got Luke 15 on one page, you turn it over, you think it's a whole new thing, and it isn't. They didn't put the chapters in. Some monk did it in about, what is it, the 8th century or the 4th century? Anyway, hundreds of years later. So let me tell you, see if you, a few of the things that, uh, that I found out. Here we are. What's similar? Oh, I should have put that up. Both stories involve someone who messes up, don't they? The prodigal son messed up really bad. So does this dishonest manager. That's why he gets fired. Both stories involve a crisis moment. You remember what happened to the son who got lost? He's in the pigsty. What does he say? I know, I must do something. What happens to this dishonest manager? He says, I know, I'm in trouble. I've got to do something. Both involve an amazingly generous boss. We saw last week how incredibly generous the the, the father is in the story of the prodigal son. Well, we're going to see that the boss is likewise astonishingly generous when you look at it against the culture of the time. And as you said, somebody, Bill, wasn't it? Both stories involved a a kind of turnaround at the end. Well, let's um, have a look at it. You know, some people say, that this is actually, perhaps I shouldn't tell you this, the most difficult of Jesus' stories to understand. Um, and it, it's going to make us scratch our heads a little bit. 
Uh, and it's good, really. The Bible is not always easy. It's not just a book of easy answers. Uh, it, but there's a lot to kind of think about here. But I also think that we're going to learn some things in it. I've certainly enjoyed looking at it. So let's have a look at the characters involved. First of all, then, we've got this rich man. He's the boss. He's really, really wealthy. I mean, the idea is that he's very rich indeed. He has a great deal of property. He's got people who do business with him, uh, and he's got people who work for him. But principally, the person who, if you like, is the most crucial of his staff is his manager. The manager, the steward in the the old versions, is a man who has complete kind of power over everything that the master owns, the boss owns. He's like the the guy who's going to run his business, make sure everything's fine. He's he's not just some kind of slave or servant or someone who, you know, is like a a butler in, um, what's that thing, Downton, you know. He's not like that. He's, he's He's much, you know, he's a very, very kind of, you know, he's really very, very important in that, that structure, that system, okay? Um, so he's uh, trusted with a great deal of money. He's trusted with a great many assets that belong to the boss. And he's also responsible for the relationships of, of all the people who owe the boss stuff and work with the boss. He's responsible for that. So he's a very important and responsible job. And then also, although this group, uh, this other kind of character, they're just off stage, it is the community, the people all around, um, they include the people who are in a business relationship with the boss and who deal with the manager. These people deal with the manager. The boss is probably, you know, hardly ever there. You know, he's like a, a multi-billionaire type, you know, and, and everyone, they may know who the boss is. They know all about it, but it's the manager that they deal with. He's the one. He's the kind of public face of the enterprise. Now, the boss, we read in the story, uh, hears from somewhere probably uh, the community, someone in the community, hears that his manager is no good. In fact, in the first verse, it says his manager has been accused of wasting his boss's possessions. Exactly the same phrase used of the prodigal son or the lost son. He went and wasted his inheritance, it says, in all kinds of wild living. He knows about this because of the community. Somebody he trusts in the community has told him he believes it. And he calls the, the, the manager in to see him, gets in touch, makes an appointment, calls him in, and then he does what I think maybe some of you who perhaps are in this kind of position may have done, or you may have done it with your, your kids, or if you're trying to, you know, teacher or whatever, you say, um, you don't know exactly what's going on, so you say, what's this I hear about so-and-so, and you kind of hope that the person's going to accidentally confess, do you know what I mean? You, I'm sure... You know, you've never used that ploy, I'm sure, or been... But he does that. That's what the phrase is. What's all this I hear about? And the manager just keeps quiet. He doesn't confess anything. He doesn't say anything. He just keeps quiet. So the boss fires him. He says, that's it then? And as he fires him, it says... He asks him to bring the account book back. Now, it's not very helpful here. When it says... Uh, what is this I hear? Give an account of your management. That makes it, it sound like he wants him to say something. Actually, the, the story says, the original says, I want you to bring the account books. You've got to bring them back, bring them back to me. You know, uh, the, the manager would have the records of the, all the, the, you know, I suppose it's like saying, I, I want that memory stick or I want the laptop back. Everything that's about my business is on there. You can't have it. So, bring it back, I want to check it out, and by the way, 
don't come back. You're fired. Clear your desk. And uh, when you, you, know, you can see the man going out with his um, cardboard box full of his uh, possessions, a picture of his family and his pot plant and everything else uh, is what we have in mind. Now, this is a shocking story. We may not think this is shocking, but if you were listening to Jesus and heard this story, you would be shocked. Why? Well, firstly, that the manager just went. Because anyone in this culture at the time, and indeed in Middle Eastern cultures today, will know that nobody, yet just nobody, goes that easily. You know, firing someone is like a negotiation system begins. The person questions it. They will be demanding evidence. They would say, well, you know, yeah, yeah, don't that, you, you, you show me, you know. And then he'd say, uh, the next level would be, I've worked for you my whole life. My father worked for you. My grandfather worked for you. I know it's hard doing this job. Maybe I made a mistake, but, but you know, please, this is, this is, that uh, would be that. And if that didn't work in the culture, the next thing that would happen would be that the manager would get friends of his to, you know, go and see the boss. And, you know, there'd be waves of people coming. Yeah, he's all right. You know, what are you doing? Why are you firing him? That's what would normally happen in the culture. But here, the, the manager just goes. That would be shocking at the time. Secondly, it's also shocking because the boss is so easy on him. See, this boss could have disgraced him. He could have put him in jail. All of this was possible in the culture. He could have um, shamed him publicly uh, in the midst of the community for being such a bad uh, manager. He could have actually confiscated his property. He could actually have put him into slavery. He could have changed him from the status he had as a a well-respected member of his staff to a slave. He could have actually enslaved his children if he'd wanted to. All of those options were available to the boss uh, to punish this, this dishonest servant, uh, this dishonest steward. And he doesn't do that. None of it. And that, at the time, to the people listening to the story in Jesus' culture, they'd be thinking, what's, a bit, what's that about? So then the manager, having been sacked as he walks down the road, um, heading towards his office, thinking about what's going to go in the cardboard box and what might go into the, the, the dump outside, he has a plan. He realized he's got to do something. He says this. He, we see it there. He, he talks to himself again. He says, what am I going to do now? And then he comes up. He, he's still got the books. He hasn't given the books back to the boss yet. See that? So what he does is he sends for the people who he knows, because he's in business with them, who owe the boss a load of money. They're used to getting called to the manager's office because the manager has all the authority of the boss. And if you dealt in business with this guy, it'd be a bit like, I suppose, if you, if you were doing, you know, if you were in business with Virgin Atlantic, say, and, and uh, you know, you knew that the, the, chief, the, the kind of operating executive of, of the company called you to come and see them, you, you know, you'd know that actually Richard Branson might have, you know, he might have got a message from Richard Branson for you. So you went, you did it. And that's what happens. The, it says that he sent for the people and they went. They came. 
He acts quickly and quietly because these people think he's still working for the boss. They don't know he's been fired because he hasn't turned the books in yet. He's still in that kind of limbo. He's not quite on gardening leave, but, you know, he's, he's using the time. So he brings them in and he tells them that they don't have to pay as much. He gets them to look at the books. He says, here's the book. This is what's in the book. Look, he said, you, you owe a certain amount. Well, let's make it such and such. Would you just sign that in the book? And that's what they do. And he gives them massive reductions. I won't go into it, but if you look into the details... This is, worth, you know, this is worth the equivalent of thousands of thousands of pounds. He slashes from their debts. It's brilliant, isn't it? Because they think he's acting on behalf of the boss. It's in the book. If the boss sees it later, it's in their handwriting. Uh, so he, he knows it's by kind of being, they've agreed it on his behalf. It's there in his management book. See where we're going here? It's a brilliant plan. This man is going to make a lot of grateful friends, isn't he? And when they find out he's been fired, they're going to owe him something. They're going to be impressed at his amazing skills of preservation, if nothing else. And the boss, actually, is going to look incredibly generous, isn't he? In the community. You can just imagine it. Everyone in the village, all the villagers around, are going around saying, amazing, you know, I know I owed the boss all the, I owed, you know, Richard Branson all this money. What a generous company Virgin is because they've just reduced my, they've just made my debts payable or realistic or whatever. So it's, it's a, a brilliant piece of work on behalf of the manager. So everyone's happy. Now, is he still being dishonest here? What's going on? See, this is the problem that some people have with this parable. Is he cheating his boss still? Is he wasting his boss's money? Well, it's possible he is, but not necessarily. Because at the time, the debts could have been interest. Now, if you know your Old Testament, if like the same with Islamic law today, interest, loaning people money and charging them interest was forbidden in the law, as it is forbidden in Sharia law in uh, Islam, and just like it with Sharia law, so with the Old Testament, people had certain ways of getting around that. And one of the ways they got around it was that, you see, if you let your manager decide and sort out the interest, then it was him, wasn't it? It wasn't you, the boss, it was the manager who got involved in all that grubby stuff. And the manager would also get a cut from that. So, there would, so it's possible, actually, that um, he, he's, what he's doing is, is kind of wiping out the debts and, and giving up his own cut. So that's possible. It's, 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 it's possible that whatever he was like before, he was a dishonest uh, manager, he was a bad manager before, it's possible that in this action, it's, he's not all bad, if you like. Well, anyway, verse 8, the boss finds out. And here comes another huge surprise. Because what happens when the boss finds out in verse 8? You think, you know, you'd think, uh, well, what would you do if you were the boss? You'd be mad, wouldn't you? You'd blow your top. You'd even more, you know, if you didn't put him in prison then, you, before, you would do so now, surely. If you didn't enslave his family before, if this is the way he treats you, you'd, you'd certainly have him now, wouldn't you? 
No, the boss, the first thing we read is the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly or wisely. It's amazing. The boss commends him for his wisdom. Now, he seems very happy. The, the boss seems to celebrate the fact that maybe it's because the whole village is saying what a great guy he is, I don't know, uh, or, or, or whatever. He's, he's actually saying, this is good. Well done. You acted wisely, he says to his, his, his manager. Now, what's been going on? See, the manager has staked everything, hasn't he? In, in like one last great kind of throw of the dice, if you like. He staked everything on his boss's generosity. He's assuming and hoping that his boss is really, really generous. That's what's happening, isn't it? And, you know, the boss is. (laughs) The boss comes through by, if you like, accepting that kind of generosity, owning it, but more than that, by giving the dishonest manager, the dishonest manager... A tremendous ref, a reference for his next job. It's a bit of an unusual way of doing things, isn't it? A bit crazy. It's not the way that it happened then in that culture. It's not the way it happens now. Now, this is where people kind of, uh, from all oh, centuries, I think it was called, what was he called? I think he was called, um, I haven't written it down, I think he was called... Uh, Julian the Apostate, so you know where he came from. Uh, he was a, a, a kind of turned against Christianity in the 4th century and uh, wrote a great polemic saying to the Romans, don't, don't follow Jesus because he's dishonest. And he quoted this parable. And that's where some of the problems are. Is Jesus commending this kind of dodgy, unethical behavior? Well, no, he isn't necessarily, because what's happening is that, that we, we, we don't have Jesus saying that this is a shrewd manager who's applauded for his dishonesty. No, Jesus is saying this is a dishonest manager who's applauded for his wisdom, for his uh, shrewd actions. That's a big difference. Jesus is saying in his wisdom, the way he acted when he started to kind of Uh, see things differently he was being wise so here's a story then that begins with the manager wasting the boss's money he's fired he admits to the wrong but then he starts using the boss's money starts being generous with the boss's money to build friendships as well for himself as well actually as enhancing the boss's reputation although that may not have been his intention but that's what happens and it ends up with the boss commending him for it the manager has actually been rescued by the generosity of the boss, hasn't he? Does that remind you of anything? We've been rescued by the generosity of our God in giving everything for us. Think about that for a bit. Then Jesus begins to tell us what this is all about. What is this all about? Well, he says in verse 9, doesn't he? I tell you, well, verse 8. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus said to his followers... We need to learn to live wisely. 
He says, this man was wise. He was shrewd. And there's something about the way he behaved in this story that his followers, that's people like you and me, can learn from. What kind of wisdom is it? Well, let's look at it. Wisdom, first of all, that accepts that we've messed up. That was the unusual thing about the, the, the manager. He didn't argue with it. He just said, in his silence, he said, yeah, I've messed up. He didn't offer any excuses whatsoever. That's unusual. From the history, from, from Adam and Eve until today, most people, when accused of doing something, will find some kind of excuse or another, won't they? This man doesn't. And you know, there comes a point when we have to accept as well, before God, that we've messed up. No excuses. That's it. Secondly, this manager, this grasps, there's wisdom rather. We need this wisdom that grasps that God is extraordinarily generous. That God, the God like in the last story, uh, in the prodigal son, the God who generously welcomed the, his son back and, and pleaded with his other son to come to the party, that God is just so generous when we become believers, remains the same generous God as we are believers. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? Particularly when we mess up. We forget how generous and gracious and kind our God is. His grace continue. He pays for our rescue. And we need to live in that. Wisely living is about that. And then there's wisdom as well that realizes that, because this is about money, really. We're coming on to this uh, in just a moment. It won't be too long. He realizes that the money will go. This steward, this um, manager rather, realizes it's going to end. The money will go. Verse 9, Jesus says to them, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, it will go. It's not going to last. Jesus is referring to when we die. doesn't matter how much we've got in the bank balance, does it? Little or a lot. It's meaningless. It's gone. And there's wisdom as well that sees that people and relationships are more important than money. Because that's what this steward, this manager is doing, isn't he? He, he's using the money to invest into relationships. Yeah, albeit maybe selfishly for his own future, but there's something about it. It's not about the bottom line. He's possibly giving away all the cut that, all, you know, his, he may be giving away his own security there by releasing the debt you know, or reducing the debt anyway. And we need that wisdom too. Wisdom that realizes that people are more important about money because Jesus now goes on to talk about money. Let's read what he says, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the 
one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, both God and money. See, Jesus was okay about talking about money. He obviously wasn't English, despite what we may think. He quite freely and happily talked about money. And he says three basic things. Three points and then a challenge. Remember, who's he talking to? His disciples. First thing he says is this. Money can be invested for the very long term, for eternity. He says, just like the manager, by by giving it away, then something much more can come from it. And Jesus says that relationships matter more than pounds in the bank, as the manager found out. He also says it can have eternal significance. What we do with our money can actually have eternal significance. So, for example, you may not realize this, and, and hopefully you will as, as the uh, World Engagement Action Team continue to grow and uh, develop, but we in this church, we give some money out of one of our funds to uh, a project in Bangladesh. I put it on the website, on the Facebook page, if you want to see it. It's a project that helps out uh, through Tear Fund churches who ch- train people in their communities to, to, do, uh, to help when disaster comes. These are churches and Tear Fund through uh, the Lamb Project in northern Bangladesh uh, use the money to train the pastors and others in these churches to be helpful in their communities when disaster comes. We are involved in that. £1,000 a year we give to that project, okay? Well, you might meet someone from there and uh, you might find out that people have been rescued or disaster has been averted or when the next flood comes, not so many people have lost their homes because of wise input from those people. But what also, because they're Christians and people are asking all kind of questions about what they're doing, some of the Muslims who, who they're working with, in the, the Christian Bangladeshis are working with, become followers of Jesus. So what if you get to eternity? What if in, 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 the, in the heavens, when, when we're there with, with uh, just the whole community of God's people, you meet someone who comes up to you and says, oh, you have a conversation, they're from Bangladesh, you're from here. They, they say, what, you're from Portswood Church? Well, yeah, I'm here because uh, one of those Christians in Parbatipur, uh, uh, around that area in northern Bangladesh, told me about Jesus uh, because I wanted to know because they were doing helping us with disaster relief. And I'm here now because of the money you gave. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Here, make friends of yourself. Use your money like that because those friends might welcome you into eternal homes. So we can uh, be involved in uh, uh, what we do here with our money has this impact in eternity. Some of you may be thinking, well, sure, that's great. But it's all right for that manager. He used someone else's money. (laughs) It wasn't his money he was giving away. It wasn't his money. Well, I would say it might have been, actually, but some of it. But but you see the point. Well, here's something. This is the second thing Jesus says in, in verses 10 to 11. No, and it's not our money either. We're all managers of money that's been entrusted to us by God. If we're believers. It's the boss's money. And the big question in verses 10 to 11 is, can we be trusted with this? this? The amount we have is not important. So we need to learn this, however much we've got. We need to learn 
that we've been entrusted with it. Have you got that? And that means that God is part of our lives as believers. He wants us to be faithful and trustworthy with what we have. And it's not about the amount. But it's about that we want to be trustworthy and that the Lord is part of it. And you're never too young to start this. It's an amazing thing that we can learn. I started, uh, I had some experience, I suppose I can share this because it was about, uh, well, over over 40 years ago. But when I was a, t- a teenager, I think before I was 16, when I was about 16, I was a Christian, I'd become a Christian, I was following Jesus, and, and I realized that, that giving was something I had to do. And I knew uh, somebody who was in need, and so I kind of secretly, it wasn't much, it was a few quid, I remember just putting an envelope, an envelope putting it through their door. And it was just an amazing thing to be part of that. We can do that. It's something that's so straightforward at one level. Third thing Jesus says, because I must stop. Being trustworthy now, verses 11 and 12, is like training for eternity. You see, God's purposes for you and I, if we're believers, go way beyond this life, way beyond this creation. And Jesus is saying that somehow our living for him now will connect with that future. Jesus says something that he calls true riches are coming. And he's saying God wants to train us to be able to handle that in our lives now. So how we live our life, how we use our money, how we use everything else God gives us really matters. Because once you come to know Jesus, once I've got this new life in me, Jesus says it's eternal life. It's the same life that will continue into the new creation. It's connected to this life. And, and Jesus is saying this life is like a kind of a boot camp, if you like, for something much more permanent. Awesome. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's not cool to say awesome now. <laughs> and you see, what we do with our money, it's a relatively straightforward thing. It's, it's a great way to start this adventure of, of trusting God or, or responding to him. Especially, yeah, as I said, I, I did it when I was 16. And there, all kind, and there are lots of things that are quite kind of complicated in following Jesus in some ways. Life gets complicated. But in one sense, what I do with a few quid in my pocket, or if I've got more than that, then whatever God prompts me to do, is it's just a very straightforward thing, isn't it? And there's such joy, the Bible tells us, and our experience tells us as well, in doing that. And, and all I'm saying, I'm not making any appeals. Don't give money to Portsmouth. That's up to you. Because the great excitement of it is it simply as saying, Jesus, I want you to be involved in my finances. That's all. Because I'm a manager, it's your money, it's the boss. What you do with it, it's up to you. Well, it's up to him. But it's part of your relationship with him. And that's how we grow. So finally, Jesus says, he ends this bit by saying that here and now we have a choice then. We can serve God, or we can serve money. It's very clear, isn't it? He says you can't serve both. Either kind of money is going to be kind of, and what we have, and I suppose a symbol of everything is in this life is what we kind of give ourselves to, or we give ourselves to God, and then yeah, be managers of His stuff with our lives.
So what's it going to be then? What am I going to give my life to? Am I going to just give it to serving money? Getting it? Keeping it? Wasting it? There it's gone. That's one way of living. Or am I going to, as a follower of Jesus, serve God? Realizes that the God I serve, the God I love and I want to get to know more, is the boss that Jesus has introduced me to, who's amazingly generous, who pays for my rescue, who longs me, for me to be wise, not a waster of his stuff, who trusts me and you with money and wants me and you to use it, indeed to use everything else we have in relation with him, giving our lives to him and living those lives with him and those lives that will kind of go on into amazing purposes in the future, in eternity. And seeing this life as connecting with that. So, we serve God, we can serve money, we can't, can't serve both. It's a bit of a stark choice, isn't it? But it's what Jesus said. The words are here in the word. Let's pray that we'll know his help to make right decisions as we follow him. I'll hand over to the the band. Thanks.